I wanted to share a quick testimony with you guys real quick before we got started. And this kind of tell you guys where me and Aaliyah just got ready to come from. We have been married. We're getting ready to celebrate eight years coming up in February. Praise God. And um, after about two years, about five years ago, we decided that we wanted to start trying to have kids. And uh, we kind of kept it hush-hush. We were very excited about it. And, um, you know, whenever we first tried, it just, I guess it just didn't take. And we just, it, that was kind of hard. So we're like, okay, whatever. We're just going to keep trying. And we kept it a secret. We weren't, like, advertising or anything like that. And so basically what happened was we started praying. We started praying. We started praying. And we started getting words. And we're like, we feel like the Lord saying, I promise you, you're going to have what you want. You're going to have these kids. You're going to be able to have that. So we're excited. Whenever you get a word from the Lord, you get excited. You take ownership of it. You start telling other people about it. You want people on your train. It gets exciting. But what happened? It didn't happen. So we got a little bummed out, you know? So for five years, we have been trying to have kids and it didn't happen. And that can be overwhelming sometimes. How many of you have believed you had a word from the Lord? Raise your hand if you've ever had the Lord speak to you, okay? When the Lord speaks to you and he tells you something, you get excited about it and it doesn't happen, what do you do? I can tell you what I did. I got discouraged. I'm a happy-go-lucky dude. I get really excited. I'm bubbly. I'm outside. So I try to hide it, okay? So I'm shaking it off. I'm getting discouraged. I'm talking to people and people are giving me words. It's been several years now. And um, basically I got people giving me like, oh, the, word, the Lord says this. I go to a conference and the Lord says that. I get encouraged by a friend. The Lord says this and that. And then I get excited again. All right, bam, we're going to do this thing. It's going to get exciting. We're going to have a baby. We're going to have a baby. And what happened was whenever the first time it didn't happen, the Lord started speaking to me. And uh, I'm a musician. I, 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 I speak music in ease. And uh, the Lord told me, you know, sing this over yourself. He said, he said, you always keep your promise. You always keep your promises. So I would just sing that. I would get excited. And I would just sing that. And I would sing it. And then nothing would happen. And then I'd get bummed out again. I'd get discouraged again. Somebody would speak a word. And I would get excited. And then every single time nothing happened, the Lord would remind me, you always keep your promise. And I would say, yes, God, yes. Your word is yes and amen. And then it wouldn't happen. Then I'd get bummed out again. So let me just go ahead and tell you something. Last week, last week, the Lord reminded me of something. Dad was up here speaking, and the Lord showed me a vision. He showed me a vision of a target. My dad's a hunter. He brought down like this target and he painted on this target dreams and he showed it to me and then he said it so far away and he said I'm gonna give you that and we're way over here okay and whenever he spoke it I saw in my vision an arrow come out of his mouth that was his promise he shot it out of his mouth and it starts going straight there and I'm getting excited this was five years ago he told me this is gonna happen I'm getting excited and then it doesn't happen and I'm like hey man you just told me something. I'm over here jumping, talking to people, and what's going on? So I'm looking at this arrow go, and as it goes, I get discouraged, and the Lord starts speaking to me. Hey, man, I always keep my promise, and it's it's, and I'm, I'm waiting for it. I'm waiting for it, and it doesn't happen. So it keeps going, and now I'm trying to get involved, right? I'm going to shoot some of my arrows, right? I'm going to start shooting, and you know whenever something's really far away, you have to kind of like a little bit higher. So that way it has time to drop and lands in the place. So it didn't matter how high I shot. It didn't matter how low I shot, how good I thought my aim was. It didn't matter because it wouldn't make it, okay? Guess what? Guess what? So Aaliyah and I not only were trying to have kids and it wasn't happening in our time frame, 
Also, Aaliyah's, um, uh, early on in our marriage, we found out that she got diagnosed with, there's a couple different things. It's called Hashimoto's, and it's, uh, there's a biotoxin illness, and there's some thyroid issues, and basically all this means for people who don't understand all this stuff is um, she has, uh, and because of mold allergies, she has like these fibromyalgia like pains and it racks her okay like she lives with it every single day and she pretends like it doesn't hurt and she doesn't let it affect her day she goes to work she does her thing but she's in constant pain we had prayed about that over and over and over again how many times have we prayed about something and it didn't happen we just quit we just stop we just we did all right he did he didn't all right well you got i'm just gonna not talk about that anymore because apparently okay so we just kind of stopped that's one of the things that we just kind of stopped praying all right we're gonna talk about kids now so we're gonna pray about kids instead of her pain guess what okay so we find out okay uh, I'm getting excited let me back up I'm getting excited I'm getting excited okay you always keep okay listen all right so we get excited we get another word we go to a conference we're getting pumped about this Lord in your timing your timing we don't believe it we're just talking about it we in your timing okay and then so all of a sudden all of our friends everybody it's like baby day everybody's getting pregnant all of our friends are getting pregnant. I'm like, Lord, what's, uh, we, we, okay. You always keep, okay, I got it. Okay, I'm just gonna keep singing that. I'm just gonna keep singing that. People are getting pregnant left and right. Then guess what? My brother and his wife get pregnant. I'm like, Lord, that's great for them, but it's the wrong brother. It was me that prayed. Did you get confused? Because I'm the dude that was like five years ago. Okay, so anyway. I'm getting discouraged, okay? And then all of a sudden, we're like, we're gonna go back where the Lord showed me that target. He shot that thing off, and I'm over here complaining, and all these different steps, I'm over here. The arrow is here. You always keep, but it's not happening. You always keep, but it's not happening. I'm getting discouraged. You always keep, but it's not happening. And then bam, it hits the bag. What does the Lord say to me? What does the Lord say to me? He goes, stop confusing timing with accuracy, David. He said, stop it. He said, cut that out because it didn't happen in your timing. You're wondering if I missed? No, because I always keep my promises. I always keep my promises, okay? And it's not just about fertility, okay? It's not just about that. I'm sick. I don't feel good. The doctor said this, that, and the other. Well, guess what? By his stripes, you are healed. And he always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. I don't have enough money for rent that week, all right? But he is our provider, and he always keeps his promises. He always keeps his promises. There's been words spoken over this church. Yep. There's been words that have been spoken over this church that this church is going to experience a revival like Florida has never seen before. And he always keeps his promises. He always keeps them. So we're gonna sing something new, okay? Because on the back end of this, the Lord gave me this song. And after we found out that we are pregnant, we're excited. We got excited, of course. And he gave me the rest of it. He said, you have, I've done it again, I'm getting excited. You have said yes and amen. Your word never falls to the ground. It never does. It never drops. It never goes because whenever he says it, it's getting there. It's getting there. And again, do not confuse timing with accuracy. We're going to sing something new. And I want you guys to sing along. Let's catch up.
You know, this past week, I had the opportunity to go to the hospital and visit Mr. Al Frierson. And in visiting him, I walked in and he was uh, anticipating going and having some evaluations of his heart and he expected to have maybe a stent put in. And he and the doctor were in there talking, so I just stayed out in the hall, Michelle and I did, and we finally were able to come in. The doctor invited us in, and, and uh, Al and introduced me and said, this is my pastor. And she said, she said where do you pastor? And I, I said, well, I pastor Citygate downtown. She said, I have heard of your church and all that you do. And she was talking about that orange t-shirt church that goes out everywhere and does something to preach the gospel in word and deed. And I thought to myself, man, I, I, I like that reputation. I like that you're, you're from that church. See, when you understand that we are on mission and that we have a purpose, it is different than just assembling together and hearing a sermon and enjoying the worship and, and enjoying each other's fellowship. Let me tell you a few things that startled me this week. Do you realize that there are 2 billion people on planet Earth right now that have never heard the name Jesus? And then, you know, because we're, we're accustomed to knowing that there is a segment of the population that are not in Christian countries. And, but then it, then it even got deeper. Do you, anybody ever heard the country of Yemen? It's in Africa. They have 8 million people. You know how many estimated Christians there are in Yemen? Less than 30. That means today in our elementary children's ministry, we're going to have somewhere between 60 and 70 kids. We have doubled the amount of Christians than the entire nation of Yemen. See, we get the privilege of what I consider to be living in the greatest country in the world with all of its freedoms and religious expressions. And we get the luxury of hearing about the power of the gospel of Jesus every single week. But I want to ask you today, when you start hearing about the mission and purpose of Scripture and how it, can, how it uh, kind of contains the message and the purpose of CityGate, I want to ask you, see, sometimes I think people that write songs like we just heard in that video secretly somehow or another get in my head. Yes, even a pastor sometimes looks around at all of the things going on and I go, God, where are you? You know, if the statistics are correct, one out of every three girls, one out of every three boys find themselves in some position of abuse. Where you at? And like the lyrics of that song, it seems like the writer got in my head and heart sometimes in moments of frustration. And uh, sometimes I look up towards heaven and said, what are you going to do? And he says, I created you. I created you and you are a part of a group of believers that I have put on mission. See, a missional church by definition is a community of God's people that defines itself and organizes its life around its real purpose of being an agent of God's mission to the world. Incredible. 
That means that we can be a part of something that is bigger than we are. We at CityGate believe missions. And I want you to understand this. This is so hard for people that have been churched all of their life. Mission is not a program. It's an assignment. See, if mission is a program, because a lot of the times we are able to, God needs people of all different types. And I know that God raises up entrepreneurial people that create businesses, that create jobs, that bring resources into the kingdom. And and we need those things types of people. But you know what? A lot of times we console ourselves when it comes to the mission and purposes of the church and we console ourselves with what we can reach in our pocket and give. Oh, that's for somebody else to do, but I'll help them do it. If you're asking me today if I want your money, I'm going to tell you right up front, no. Because I'd rather have your heart. Because if you go on mission with us with the power of the gospel, the resources will find themselves into the hands of the people that are doing the work of the ministry. God's not going to fail. God's not going to run short. He may use you. He may use me. He may use us together. We may sell a few few shirts. You know, for the first time, CityGate, we rarely ever sell anything. But we're going to sell the new CityGate shirt. First of all, this is the new youth shirt. 70 kids Wednesday night. 70 kids coming and celebrating, going back to school. But you know what? We've, it's been a long time, probably eight or nine, maybe even 10 years since we've had a new updated T-shirt here at CityGate. So we got one. That's the outline of the city of Fort Myers. And it says, love God and love people and serve others. And then on the back, it kind of gives you like a Jersey feel, like Team Citygate. <laughs> and then my wife got involved and she said, I don't want no boxy T-shirt. I want something custom fit. So ladies, we took you into consideration and found out that we got some shirts for you. And then she said, I don't want that either. I want a V-neck. And so we even went and got V-necks. And we're going to sell these things. And sometimes I cringe when we sell stuff. These shirts, we went above and beyond because we didn't want no cheap shirt. We went and got the best T-shirt. They cost us just the cost is like 13 or 14 bucks to get them printed and everything. You know what? We're going to sell them for $20. And the six or seven dollars we make on the profit is going to missions. And that means that we're going to be able to dig a well or go get clean water to a village. We're going to be able to do something. And all of a sudden, when the missional purposes, people on mission, it's not just the crazy faith people that go live in huts in Timbuktu and return every year with their slideshows. We believe everyone is on a mission to be empowered by God, the Holy Spirit, to accomplish the will of God in your area of influence. That means your mission field could be your living room. It could be your, your house, your neighborhood. It could be your workplace, or it could be in a neighborhood preaching the power of the gospel. Mission means you have purpose. Mission means that there's a reason you exist. Mission is something that defines who you are and who God created you to be and what purposes you fit here on earth. And I promise you, God did not call the church to come together and sing three songs, hear a poem and a sermon and say a benediction prayer and go home. I know that for sure. 
It's found in the Great Commission. You ever wondered what the difference is between the scripture of God commanding the church to go do and what we really are? See, it would be so much simpler if the Great Commission said go make believers because we are outstanding experts at making believers. We have reduced the power of the gospel to somebody at the end of a sermon being moved by emotionally and being concerned about their eternity and all of a sudden they're raising their hand or coming forward and I don't minimize that one bit because we are gonna celebrate in just a moment the power of transformation. But at the beginning of your faith walk, all you are is a believer. But the commission didn't say go make believers. It said go make disciples. Amen. See, the great commission in, Mark, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20 said, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Tell your neighbor, all authority. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. See, disciples are those who believe in Jesus and seek to follow him in his or her daily life. And that's a different person than just comes forward. When you make a decision to be a disciple of Christ, you have to do more than believe. You're going to have to follow Christ. He gives us an example when he goes and calls his disciples. He says, come follow me. And tax collectors had to leave their tax tables and fishermen had to leave their nets and boats and come follow this man. They may have had a prior knowledge of believing that Jesus was the Messiah, but they had to become a disciple. See, to follow means to adhere completely to the teachings of another, making them the rule of life and conduct. Jesus solidified this concept again when he called his disciples. We at CityGate believe that the teachings of Jesus are something that we have purpose in fulfilling. And we believe that the teachings of Jesus are called the Bible. And we believe that we are to teach and to preach and to live. And the Bible is to be our rule of how we live and conduct ourselves. It's the authority in our lives. It's not, it's not um, negotiable. A lot of times the culture today says this document is ancient and it can't possibly be relevant for the day. And if you'll understand, the document was never meant for it to be a rule book. It was meant to be a document of a love letter between God and man that gives you the guardrails to keep you from destruction, not rules to keep you from fun. I'm going to say that again in, keep, in case people tweet out and stuff, all the social media and stuff. The Bible is not a book of rules that are keeping you from fun. It's guardrails to keep you from destruction. See, there's nobody I've ever met that said, hey, I want to get up on the Skyway Bridge. I hate that engineer that made all those guardrails. I'd like to drive two inches away from the edge of the Skyway Bridge, and hopefully if I'm not paying attention, I'd be falling off the edge. I've never met anybody like that. Why would you think that God would love you less to think that you're going to go through the challenges of life and sometimes the navigational position of your life could be on the edge of crisis and destruction. You ever been at that point of temptation where if you knew that if you took the next step it could cause a lot of problems? And God took his word and made a guardrail between you and destruction and said, why don't you just check out the teachings of Jesus? See, all of a sudden, when we understand that we believe in sharing these teachings called the gospel, and we say it best here at CityGate by saying, we preach the gospel with words and deeds. Yeah. 
See, I think that it paralyzed the modern church when we got convinced that all we had to do was say the things instead of live the things. It devalued our credibility in the earth because the people that we were saying it to found out that we were doing the same things they were doing. And they called us hypocrites. See, this isn't just to talk about, it's to do. It's something to live by. It's something to be a standard, to uphold. It's something that we could be proud of, that we are going to be followers of Jesus Christ. We are going to be disciples and we are going to make this the rule of our life and the authority in our lives. And we believe that it is in our best interest that God loved us so much that he allowed us to participate. See, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Do you realize to be a witness is somebody that is to come and bring credibility to a previous story? You're to bear witness that I have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ and his teachings. And there is now something different than I than I was before. Do you realize that people should know there's something different about you? I know it's something that makes Christians cringe because sometimes Jesus isn't as popular as he used to be. And he's not on the in crew. And all of a sudden, sometimes people want to know, hey, are you a Christian? Well, you know, I go to church and no, nah, man, I'm a witness. <laughs> I bear witness. See, there was something that happened to me at the power of the gospel when it transformed my life. See, many of you know my, my testimony and you know I had a big period of rebellion. But do you realize that when, when God truly got a hold of me, I had to set new standards and I had to use this authority as my new standards and I had to tell the people I used to run with, hey man, I still love you, but I can't do what I used to do. What are you talking about? You got Jesus? Yeah, I got him. I'm a witness of who he is. And I started living this thing out and started, I didn't go, you know what the worst thing to do is when you have unbelieving friends is to take your Bible and start hitting it on your hand and telling them they're going to hell. What you need to do is say, hey man, I found something that is the greatest treasure of my life and if you'll just watch what, I, what has happened in my life and see how I handle the crises of, the li of life, you'll find out that I'm not alone, that he is with me every step of the way and you'll find out that you may want him too. Do you realize that everybody I used to party with, I've led to Christ? They saw the difference. I've become a witness. See, I got rescued. <clears throat> now, I am not going to be critical. I love my former denomination with all of my heart, and I believe they are godly people that do godly things. God had a different plan for my life and that is it simply. This is not a shot across the bow. I am giving you a personal testimony of a moment of disappointment that challenged my faith. I remember being elected. I was one of the youngest members elected to our state council. Now I was so excited to go to my first meeting. And catch this, we used to wear suits and ties. Still in Florida, it's like 2,000 degrees and we're walking into a place with suits and ties on. <laughs> Go figure. And I was so excited about getting there and I, I was 30, like 30 something years old. I had black hair. I had hair, that was one thing. And it was black. And I, I went in, I had my, I went, when I got elected, to, I, I bought two new suits. I wanted people to know I meant this thing. I'm professional now. And I walked into this room, and in this room was a mahogany table shaped like the state of Florida. 
And I thought, man, we're fixing to do something in here. And I remember my, now I'm in my young, my early 30s, and the, one of the first things on the agenda was youth ministry. And I was like, holy smoke, this is unbelievable. I'm a, I'm a little bit connected to youth ministry. I, I'm, I'm still a young guy. I know about youth. And they said, we want to win young people to Jesus. And it was like the spring of the year. And I stayed there. I almost didn't say nothing. And I was like, David, don't, this is your first meeting. You know, they're not going to like you. And, and finally, I raised my hand. I said, are you really serious about winning the young people for Jesus? They said, yeah. I said, you got any money? They said, you know, we've allocated in the budget money for youth ministry. I said, okay, buy me the sand. I'm going to tell you how old I am now. All the young people up there in the balcony are going, preach, pastor, you're going to know I'm old now. I said, buy me the sand between MTV and VH1 on Daytona Beach during spring break, and let's go live the gospel. And they said, oh, no, 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 no. They're not wearing any clothes there. I said, well, I didn't know Jesus was worried about all of that. I just wanted to go live something out. I wanted to go. I believed in a Jesus that could do anything. And, and they said, no, 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 you misunderstood. What we really meant was we want you to go find youth groups that already have kids that are saved. And we want you to help them more of those kids go to Sunfest. And I said, oh, man. And I was so disappointed. I said, I, I didn't know. And it kind of jaded my heart for a little bit until there was a group of young adults that started surrounding me. And we used to go to their houses and their kids are now teenagers. They were just little kids then. And finally, one of them got the courage and said, Pastor, is this real? I said, yes, I believe it is. He said, do you really believe in this Jesus that this book talks about? I said, yes, I do, wholeheartedly. And they said, well, would you quit teaching, uh, preaching to us uh, more words and will you teach us how to do this thing called the gospel? See, before we ever had a hot dog cart in a living room of somebody's house, we were talking about all we could do was carry hot dogs to the park around the corner from where they lived in pans that we could cook in their kitchen. And we were going so the birthing of outreach ministry didn't start uh, here at the church. It started in somebody's living room that said, let's go out and start fellowshipping with somebody that doesn't know Christ and let them bear witness of who we are and what he's done in our lives. And let's change the world. And from that moment to today, I've tried to live this thing out in front of them. I took them to places in scripture like Isaiah 61, in which we are one of our foundational scriptures that says this. And the spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of prisons to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of the vengeance of our God and comfort all that mourn and to grant those who mourn in Zion and to give them beautiful headdresses for instead of ashes, oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they they may be called the oaks of righteousness, the planning of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall build up the ancient ruins and they shall rise up the former devastations and they shall repair ruined cities, the devastation of many generations. And I looked those young adults in the eyes and I said, I believe Isaiah 61 and I believe there's nobody too far that can, their heart cannot be penetrated by the power of the gospel. Their life may look like ruined cities, but this book says that we could go as oaks of righteousness and bear witness of Jesus living in us and he can repair the ancient ruins of their life. And then I lived it. 
Y'all going to have to bear with me today. Then I went to the jail. This picture graced the cover of a magazine. And you got to remember, it's in my office. You won't believe that the guy has hair and it's brown and it's me. I said, I, I, let's just go live this thing. Let's try this thing out. And they said, you can come preach in the jail. It's on playoff Sunday. I just went to the jail this week. And now they, 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 they're raising cattle. They got a corral where I preached. And they said, well, there's no chairs for you. And if the prisoners want to come out, they're going to have to sit on the concrete. And I said, sit on the concrete and it's playoff Sunday. They can stay inside and watch football or come outside and listen to me preach sitting on the concrete. Yep. Okay. I said, God, I need some help. He said, carry ladies. There's one thing missing in prison. The opposite sex. I built a whole worship team of women. They poured out of that thing like there wasn't even a football game on. They were like, yeah, we're sitting right down here. Look, preach, pastor, preach. And I saw the power of the gospel go forth. And in the old stockade, there was a four-foot fence that the family had to stay behind. And there was six foot of grass before you got to the big tall cages that they had to live in. And I asked the guards that day, I said, if they want to get saved today, I want them to know that the Jesus that I'm preaching about will touch them. And I want them to know that I don't judge them and I want to touch them too. I said, if they want to get saved, can I pray with them individually? They said, Pastor, if they want to get saved, tell them to stand up, put their hands in the fence, and you can go in between the fences. Un You're not allowed to do that. That's not, that's not public access, but we're going to let you do it. We'll follow you. Make sure you don't slip them anything, and we're going to protect you, and you pray for every one of them. That day, 234 men stood up and moved up to the fence and grabbed their hand, and Jesus come from heaven down to earth and through the hand of one ordinary man, Jesus' hand touched them. See, the reason that we don't understand our mission is because I don't think we have a correct view of Jesus. See, I taught these kids that nothing was impossible because I read a scripture in Mark chapter 10 and Jesus looked at them and said, with man it is impossible, but with God for all things are possible with God. We found out that a correct perspective of Jesus, all things are possible, whether we were serving hot dogs or going to neighborhoods or tackling loneliness or believing for miracles, being on mission become natural and it all hinged on how we viewed Jesus. Was he a character in the Bible? Or was he God? Now I'm fixing to put something up on the screen in just a moment. How many of you have been to, children, or to Sunday school or children's church? Say amen in your whole life. See, sometimes we still have the imagination of Jesus being a little babe wrapped in swaddling clothing or he's a 33-year-old man walking around in a white robe with a beard. I call him flannelgraph Jesus. That's him. Now, everybody in Sunday school has seen that. You ever notice that no matter what culture you come from, Jesus seems to look like you? There he is in the white robe. 
But I found out that ain't Jesus. Not today's Jesus. Jesus looks a little different now. You say, Pastor, what are you talking about? See, when he's just a character in a book, he's like any other character, like Harry Potter. But Jesus isn't a fictional character. He's real. You say, well, Pastor, what are you talking about? He's real. Oh, yeah, he's real. If you'll give me five more minutes of your time, I'm going to tell you why we believe in miracles and why we're on a mission. A sea of orange shirts being bearing witness of who Jesus is and the power of the gospel in us to change the world. See, the Jesus that you should now have in your imagination is found in Revelations chapter 5. And I'm going to read a few scriptures, I'll preach a little bit, and then I'll read a few more until we get to the end. And Revelation chapter 5 says this, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written and on the back sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. Point number one, theological point number one about Revelation chapter five is that the destiny of all mankind is held in the hand of God. That scroll, when you read further chapters, you will find out that that scroll vanquishes evil. When it is finally opened, it talks about all kinds of stuff happening on the earth. And by the time you get to the last of the scroll, you find out that there's a new heaven and a new earth and old things have passed away and God himself has vanquished evil. And now the kingdom of heaven now reigns with the king of kings and the Lord of lords standing in truth. But I want you to theological point number two about Revelations chapter five is mankind. This isn't going to get a lot of applause, but it'll hit you right where you need to be hit today. Mankind absent of Christ Jesus is utterly hopeless. There was not anybody found in heaven or under heaven or in the earth or under the earth that was found worthy to open the scroll. Mankind could not do it through good deeds, couldn't do it through good character. It was beyond our frailty. Some people ask me all the time. They once asked David Platt, and you could read his book, Radical. They said, what happens to the innocent man in Africa that never hears the name of Jesus? He said he goes to heaven. The problem is, is there's no innocent man anywhere on any continent. And if they don't hear the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and allow Jesus to be uh, lived in front of them and allow the power of, of the gospel to transform them, they will find themselves in hell. But then Jesus shows up in Revelation chapter 5. John is so utterly devastated that no man could open the scroll that he is weeping loudly. And then the scripture continues. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered 
so that He can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, though it had been slain, with seven horns and with seven eyes, which were the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And He went and took the scroll from the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne. And when He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and a golden bowl full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe, language, people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on earth forevermore. Somebody say amen. See, I didn't get the broken down Jesus still dripping with blood. No, I said, John said, I saw a lamb as though he was slain. That means he had went through death, but he was still standing. You notice that right there. It says, and there was a lamb that looked like he was slain, but he was standing up. See, death could not conquer him. Darkness cannot overwhelm him. He is the one that is sovereign truth over all things. And he had the authority. Remember when the Great Commission went out and he has given me all authority and now I'm giving it to you. He said, I got enough authority to walk up to the very throne of the Father and take out of his right hand the scroll and open it up to prepare the destiny of all humanity. And I have ransomed them with my own blood. Isn't it wonderful? Point number four is that it was global. Every tribe, every nation, every person, everywhere could understand the penetrating power of the gospel. Some people ask me, now, now I've tried my best to preach, half teach and half preach this thing. I'm going all preacher now. Because you have to understand these kids that I told that we can do. See, we started taking Revelation chapter five, Jesus. And they go, what are you afraid of? I said, I ain't afraid of nothing. What do you mean? What if people, I'm not afraid of reputation. He laid down his reputation so I could have one. So I'm here to make his reputation famous. Are you afraid of the devil? I said, good Lord, no. Ain't you ever watch any of them paranormal movies? Where them demons start to snatch people up in the closet? I can't wait till I get snatched up. I can't. You know, let him come tonight. Snatch me up in the closet. Because once I get in the closet with him, me and Jesus of Revelations chapter 5 and the power of the gospel is going to be cut loose and darkness will not prevail. Why are we worried about what the enemy can do when we have a Jesus that death couldn't even conquer, that he stood up after being slain and resurrected from the dead through the authority of his own blood, ransomed us all. And we worried about demons, darkness, bad neighborhoods. You got to be careful. No, we need to be wise, but you ain't never going to be careful carrying the gospel. What are we going to tell people going to Yemen? Be careful. Man, I almost cursed right there. I really did. That's the closest I've ever come to cursing in a sermon because it really would have been appropriate. Heck no, we ain't going to tell them to be careful. 
We're going to say go be radical with the power of the gospel and it may take your life. But whatever happens when you breathe your last, the Jesus of Revelation chapter 5 will be greeting you. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Let me just say one more story, then we're going to pray for a minute. Man, this is good. I got saved in first service. I had a missionary that gave her life for 15 years in Africa tell me, I'm going back to Africa after that sermon. She's like 85. I'm wondering what's going to happen in second service. See, one day, one of the old men of the faith that believed in Jesus of Revelation chapter 5. His name was Lester Summerall. And they sent him to a foreign country. And he got off all naive. Like they were just here to hear the gospel. They were a country that was bound with witchcraft and idolatry. And they wanted to make a spectacle out of him and mock him. And they put, took him from the plane to a woman that was demon possessed and then broadcast it on national radio because they felt like he was going to be an utter failure. They couldn't cure her and they didn't know what, what happened. He had Joker went in there and declared the power of the gospel and the woman was delivered and revival struck the nation. It gets better. Go read Rebuilding, uh, uh, Rebuilding the, uh, Repairing the Breach by Rob Parsley. Uh, Lester Summerall was his mentor before he passed. And there's a whole chapter of it. It's called Put It Back. That night, the same demon that possessed the woman come into Lester Summerall's bedroom, shook the bed out into the middle of the room trying to intimidate him. He said, I saw you today and I see you now. And I have the same authority that I had this morning that I got right now by the authority vested in me. With the authority of the name of Jesus, I declare that you leave and flee right now. And the demon went out the, out the bedroom window. And I would have shouted right there. I'd have said, whoo, Thank God he didn't snatch me in the closet. Man, that's what they do on the movies. Lester Summerall decided he was, he was getting honorary by then. He was getting up in age. He said, I ain't getting out of this bed and moving the bed. I didn't move it out of here. He stood up in the middle of that bed and said, I command you in the authority of the name of Jesus. I didn't move the bed. You put it back where you found it. Demon, come back in the room, move the bed over to the wall and left again. That's the Jesus of Revelations chapter five. That's why when we don an orange shirt, it doesn't mean that we are going in our own strength. That means that we can transform a neighborhood with a hot dog. Not because we have ketchup and mustard, but because on the other side of that hot dog is somebody that believes in a Jesus of Revelation chapter 5. That's why we can go into hospital rooms and declare, I believe there's hope for you because I know a Jesus that is Revelation chapter 5 Jesus. He's not on a flannel graph anymore. I bear witness of who he is. Now, sometimes I get a little frustrated because he doesn't do everything I want him to do. That's where obedience comes in. What would happen if the revelation Jesus of Revelation chapter 5 lived so much in you 
that you are able to go wherever you are. You don't have to thump your Bible telling everybody they go to hell. Why don't you just walk into the room and start living differently and let them ask you, what is different about you? And you can say, I bear witness of the one that came from heaven and had it all but thought that I needed to be where he was. I could never have reached it on my own behavior or my own good deeds. So he come and died a ransom death that I could have life and have it more eternal. And that through him, I live and breathe and have my, my being. And it is not because I am good in nature. It is because he is perfect in nature and he now lives inside of me. That is the difference. wonder what revival could start if we weren't concerned about making just more believers but raising up some believers that sit in seats to become disciples that would be witnesses of who he really is let's listen Amy sing something this radical place called city gate our city thinks we're strange They don't know why we weren't satisfied with the three songs and a sermon. And just having a benediction prayer. And those young people rescued me. And then you rescued me. By allowing a pastor to have a dream. That we could have... We could be witnesses of Christ in every neighborhood that we could really truly have a church that was multicultural. That we could tear down barriers because we were willing to have awkward conversations. You can't believe racism will end outside the walls until racism ends inside the walls. And it's such a radical thing. It's not any better. It's just different. But we are building something that by the time that Riley gets to be a teenager, she will think that's normal. And she will believe in a Jesus of Revelations chapter 5. She will not know flannel graph Jesus. She will not know a Bible character named Jesus. She will only know the one that conquered death and that ransomed humanity by the power of his blood, and that from every tribe and every nation and every kindred and every tongue, the power of the gospel could penetrate a man's heart, whether they are in prison or whether they're in an ivory uh, chapel with stained glass windows and a pipe organ. We will believe that there is not a neighborhood exempt from the blessings and the authority of living kingdom dynamics. We will believe in the power of the gospel that can change a drug dealer or change a religious heart. Amen.